This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. We need to realize God is alive. If He weren't, you wouldn't be here. Word of God says that it is Him that keeps life in our bodies. We need to understand we move into a time of worshiping God. The majority of Christians having the foggiest notion what they're doing. Praise God they do some of it, but... They've got no understanding. We talk about the God who's upholding all things by the word of His power. Everything is working because He's alive. Ah. Galatians chapter 5. You can't wait for this one, can you? Because this is a wonderful one. Hallelujah. Galatians chapter 5. Verse 22, but the fruit of the recreated human spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. We're having a look in these series of meetings at character. We're looking at the character of God. Every one of the things that we've been talking about, that we have mentioned for us here in verse 22, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, temperance, the five uh, byproducts or the eight byproducts. I said five, should be nine. The eight byproducts of the fruit of love. Love is the fruit of the recreated human spirit. Romans chapter 5 and verse 5 says that the love of God has, not will be. Don't pray, God, give me more love. You don't need to pray that. He's already done it. What we've got to learn to do is we've got to learn to draw on the life of God, which is the love of God that already is within us. Because Romans 5.5 5 says that the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who represents God the Father, God the Son, and comes and dwells within us when you get born again. If you're not born again, you don't have Him living within you. But when He does come and live within you, He doesn't come in part. He comes in His totality. All of God's character, all of God's nature, all of heaven's power is available to you to get the job done that God's called you to do. Nothing's left out. So you can experience the love of God. And perfect love casts out fear. Uh, we're not going to get into that, all right? Purely because we don't have the time. That, that in itself will take you a month of Sundays to minister on. Love. Agapea. Agape love. The love of God that loves unconditionally. It doesn't love because of. It loves despite. Despite limitation, despite ugliness, despite failure, despite turning our back on Him, despite not acknowledging Him, despite not praising and worshipping Him, despite all the things that are wrong in terms of our attitude towards God, He loves you. 
He doesn't love you more because you praise Him and worship Him. But your praising and worshiping Him is going to get you in line for a whole lot of blessing that love automatically delivers. You ask, you ask people, well, why is so-and-so getting blessed? They don't have more ability than me. They don't have more talent than me. Uh, part of the reason is probably they're loving God more than you. Come on, help me out here. It's not God loving them more. He loves you as much. But you see, love has got to be two-way traffic. And the majority of people want God to love them. But they want to love God to the point that God doesn't make any demands on them. <laughs> how, many of you, how many of you are married? <laughs> okay, now... Anybody who's married will tell you that love makes demands. If not, you've got a lopsided relationship. What is that? All the time. All the time. All the time. You, you, you learn in a true relationship between a husband and a wife, a true love relationship, you learn this. You've got to die. You've got to die to yourself. Otherwise, it doesn't work. You're going to have clashes the whole time. But you see, when, when people get blessed, it's not because God favors them more. It's purely because they're operating in a realm, in the spirit, a dimension of the spirit, which enables blessing just to get to them. Because God is love. God is pouring it out all the time. <coughs> Obedience is the key. Just get obedient. You get blessed out of your boots. All right, so the fruit of the Spirit is love. Now, whilst the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy is love's strength. Peace is love's security. Long-suffering is love's patience. And tonight we're going to have a look at gentleness, and gentleness is love's conduct. It's love's conduct. It's how we behave ourselves. Gentleness is not weakness. The male mentality has got to change. Gentle spirited people are not weak. Don't confuse the two. Because the guy doesn't have live on a diet of four inch nails doesn't mean he's not macho. He doesn't have to be able to lift, bench press 450 pounds in order to, be, to prove his, his manlihood. Amen. Gentleness is one of the most in, incredible powers Amen. of God's nature. Amen. The majority of people who have problems in their marriage relationship, men, listen, if you will learn to be gentle... You're going to sort those problems out. The majority of guys don't know how to be gentle. And I'm not talking about in the physical lovemaking. I'm talking about in terms of attitude. I know your wife will beat you verbally. Oh, yeah. There is, a, there, there is something that happens a certain period of time into marriage. Where the guy comes to the place and he realizes it's no good arguing with her. Have you noticed that? I know I'm not teaching marriage here, that's Sunday, all right? 
I'm not talking family, but I am. I mean, you just reach that stage, you say, okay, let her talk. Because I'm not going to beat her. Because I'm not going to beat her. Doesn't mean I agree with her. Oh, all right, okay. Okay. I'm getting myself into trouble, yeah? Because none of you guys were bold enough to stand up and say it's true. You're a lot of chicken. Whole bunch of you. Supposed to be my friends. Where did you get those wounds? In the house of my friends. <laughs> All right. Verse 22. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness. Christotes is the Greek word for gentleness. It's, it carries an idea of gentleness, but in actual fact, in the Greek, it means a lot more than what we're having a look at. It means good. It talks about kindness. It speaks about excellence. It conveys the idea of non-violence, not being harsh or rough. Strong defines it as usefulness. Rather interesting, usefulness. And you're going to see in, this, in the scripture how this is brought out. W.E. Vine describes it as kindness or a kindly disposition towards others. Now, I want you to hear those words. Usefulness and kindness. It's what people, everybody, should see in every believer. It works hand in glove with the very next gift, or fruit of the Spirit rather, and that is goodness. Because goodness is what people will experience when gentleness or kindness is seen. So when I use the word gentleness, I could change the word and use the word kindness. When I use the word kindness, I could, be, I could interchange that with gentleness. But that needs to be present before goodness comes. I'm talking about true goodness. I'm not talking about people operating with ulterior motives. Without kindness, there will be no outward manifestation of goodness. The Word of God says that. For example, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. You don't have to turn there, but listen to this. And be ye kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. So kindness brings a tender disposition, which is especially necessary in manifesting the good work of forgiveness. It's the goodness of God that brings men unto repentance. It's not preaching hellfire and brimstone. It's the goodness of God. It's not your doctrine or my doctrine. It's the goodness of God. And God is good because God is kind. And another word for kindness is gentle. God is gentle in His dealings with us. 
if God weren't gentle. <laughs> All right? Now, Jesus spoke about these two things, these two byproducts of the fruit of love. But he didn't call them by name. He called them something else. Go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Gentleness and goodness. Or kindness and goodness. Jesus called them something else. Have a look here in verse... 13. Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its savor or its saltiness, wherewithal shall it be salted? It shall be henceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men bring a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it gives light to all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So Jesus is speaking here about kindness and goodness, but he uses two different things, two other things, to describe their operation and their action. First one that he uses is salt. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Salt is a type of the fruit of kindness, for it brings seasoning to the earth. How many of you deal with the public on an ongoing basis? (laughs) If you deal with the public for any length of time on an ongoing basis you will know that it's very rare to come across a person in the public who is kind. Come on. Many people are so rude and overbearing that when you find a kind person, it's like finding water in a desert. Isn't that right? You, You and I, you remember, this is what Jesus is talking about. He says, you're the salt of the earth. So a believer's kindness brings seasoning into the earth where there is no kindness. Do you know that you can touch people's lives by your kindness? Remember another word for kindness is? Gentleness. Gentleness. It's like a fresh breeze coming into their lives. Because they deal with obnoxious people all day long. All right. Jesus then talks about light. He says, you are the light of the world. And light is a type of the fruit of goodness. Remember, kindness, gentleness, comes before the manifestation of true goodness. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Jesus is saying that light is the displaying of your goodness. Or your good works. 
Remember this, we always talk against being, or we always preach against being careful about getting into a works program. There are good works that need to be done. But I want us to understand something. You don't have to try and find a list of good things to do if you allow this fruit to develop in you. You automatically will be doing good things. <laughs> Jesus says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. And the purpose of seeing the good works is not to bring glory or attention to you, but it's that they may glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now, since goodness is defined as kindly activity on behalf of others, then kindness within must always precede the outward acts of goodness. So when a believer's salt or kindness is savory towards another, then his light, the goodness that is displayed, will automatically be experienced by them. It's called lifestyle. You don't have to try and do it. What should I do today that is good? Help me out, Jesus. You don't even have to think that way. When you've got gentleness operating in you, automatically the result is going to be a fruit manifestation of goodness. How many gen... No, no, no. <laughs> All right, let's leave that till later. Now, Paul's ministry to the Thessalonians is a good example of how kindness must precede goodness. Go across to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. <clears throat> 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Starting to read at verse 7. Paul writing to the church at Thessalonica says, We were gentle among you. In other words, we were, we were kind among you. We were considerate. Even as a nurse cherishes her children. We recognized your infancy. We recognized your inability. And we just smothered you with a nurse type of love. And we handled you very carefully and gently because we didn't want you injured in any way. He goes on. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear to us. In other words, he's saying, in actual fact, in a very short period of time, and Paul was only there for about four weeks, that's all. He started the church in Thessalonica in four weeks. He was there for three Sabbaths. He says, we got to love you with a God kind of love that caused us to be prepared, even though we didn't know a whole lot about you, to lay down our lives for you. We handled you tenderly and gently, telling us a little bit about how we need to treat the body of Christ. Young believers particularly. And then he goes on in verse 9, he says, For you remember, brethren, our labor and travail. For laboring night and day, 
because we would not be chargeable unto any of you, we preached unto you the gospel of God. And this is what he is saying. When we got there, we didn't even make any demand on you to sustain us or provide for us. We went out and got work. And we labored during the day and we taught you at other times, nighttime, weekends, and so on. Every opportunity. But we were not even a financial burden unto you. And we purposed not to be because we wanted you to be focused on the message that we were bringing. We didn't want you to think that we were here for ulterior motives. Interesting. But I want you to note something there. I want you to see that the gentleness or the kindness of verse 7 opened the good works referred to in verse 9. Let me make this statement. Kindness is the only door out of which true goodness can flow. Kindness is the only door out of which true goodness can flow. Goodness does a whole lot of things. It recognizes others as being valuable and precious. Goodness never will speak a word against any person or person's vision. Goodness provides everything that it can in every situation. It encourages, it builds up. It encourages people to spread out and grow and, 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 and come to a place where, they, where they, the plans and desires for their life, the dreams, become a reality. That's what goodness does. Goodness never casts a shadow over anything. Goodness moves out of the way and lets light shine on it. And Jesus, interestingly enough, taught the same message as we read in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. Believers are the salt of the earth. But when they've lost their savor, and I want you to watch this, when they've lost their savor or their kindness, he said that they are good for nothing. Remember, the, remember Strong's definition? They have lost their usefulness. Hello. Now, that doesn't mean usefulness forever and ever. But in that situation, when you cease being kind, you are not able then to produce goodness, and you've lost your usefulness in that situation. See, what we've got to realize, folks, is the Christian experience is not just casting out demons. It's character. The world should be looking at us and saying, what makes you so different? What is it that enables you, despite the fact that this ugly thing, get in your face? I mean, I had a, I had a real challenge yesterday. No, it wasn't yesterday. Yes, it was yesterday. It was last night. It was last night. I had a real challenge. Are you, you wanting me to bear my soul, aren't you? Yes. I want to tell you, I was about this close, this close, maybe closer, that close, to dropping the whole ball. <coughs> we're, driving, we're driving home. We had, a, we had a 
leadership meeting last night, an advisors meeting, and, and we're driving home, and we come off the ramp to Gainesville. Now, there's one thing that irks me. Okay? Oh, no, no, forget about the train. That's another irk. <laughs> Wish somebody would torpedo that train, put it underground, or do something with the thing. But anyway, I've, I, one thing that irks me are these guys that'll come screaming up behind you. You've got two, two, two lanes converging with a single solid line. Do you know what the rule in Virginia is? You don't cross the solid line. You wait until the broken line, and then it's safe to do this. This little jerk. Uh, no, I'm, not, I'm not in that frame of mind now, tonight, okay? I mean, I'm just repeating what I was feeling. But the more I think about it, the more I feel like doing You know, I, I really, I was that close. I was that close to dropping this whole ball. And so I, I, wait, I, I wait until the line is broken and I can move across into the left-hand lane. Some of you guys who travel that road, you know what I mean. You're coming off that ramp and yeah, this other one, 29, joins it. And I wait until... The, this guy comes on behind me, flashes his lights in this little truck of his. And he just jumps this lane right across here. He just happened to jump it as I'd already moved across. Then he starts with the fingers. You don't want to do that to me because I'll break him. And then I'll stuff them in your ear. Now, is this, is this going on tape? Oh, my Lord. Now we're going to clear the church. How many of you felt like this before? Let me just say. Oh, all right. Okay. Keep me encouraged. So then this little jerk. This, we're not finished. This little jerk. He says to me, pull over. I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I've got, I've got a decision to make. I've got Joan in the car. And I'm trying to be real spiritual about this. Might have been real different if Joan wasn't in the car. There was no kindness there. He was going to get fivefold ministry and just left in the gutter, no healing or anything. But do you understand what I'm saying? You see, the cha- right there and then. Right there and then. I lost my usefulness. In that situation, it was gone. It was gone. Because if we'd stopped, we would not have been sharing Scripture. I would not have been ministering Jesus to Him in any fashion or form. I would have been ministering the Word of God, because the Word of God says, whatever you find your hand to do, do it with all your might. For, you know, oh, wait, let's, let's move on. But you understand? So you see, you know, hey, you know, we, we get these challenges. But I, 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 I lost my usefulness. Do you understand? I'd lost my usefulness. Because I wasn't gentle. I wasn't being kind. I wasn't being anything like that. Now, it's important that we understand this. Because every one of us, every day. And that's what makes us different. Because we've got the potential to rise above that. We've got the potential within us to live above that and astound the world because they don't have the ability to do that. 
And so a believer who loses his kindly disposition towards someone automatically loses his usefulness for God in that situation at that time. And so we've got to let this fruit develop in our lives so that our usefulness for God will increase. There was a man in South Africa by the name of Vuza Mazula Mutwa. He carried his dying baby two miles. The baby had gastric enteritis. And he carried the baby for two miles to Baragwanath Hospital. But when he got there, he knew he was too late. The baby had died. And, and he turned and went home, and he was grief-stricken. And he prepared a little coffin for the baby and prepared the baby's body for burial. Now, proper burial to the black people of Africa is very, very important. It's a very important aspect to them. And they, they, they want to be buried in, uh, in the right way. Now, to be buried in a cemetery, he must belong to a recognized church and he would have to be buried by a minister of religion. His wife attended a church, but he didn't. And the pastor refused their request without really giving any reason. The, the pastor knew what the custom was of the black people. And Mutwa wrote his scorching essay on why Christianity has failed in Africa based on the experience that he had at the hands of that pastor. It's part of his very bitter book, Africa is My Witness, in which he charges that the culprits for the failure of Christianity in Africa are those petty dictators and sadists who wear their collars the wrong way round. Speaking about the clerics, the clergy. Jesse Moody said, God never called us to be doer judges standing in the robes of prudery. We are in the business of redemptive involvement, not hyper-righteous investigation. We must not be a terror for sinners, but a haven for them. Our tolerance is gauged by our gentleness to people who arrive here different from us. How gentle are we? When you meet people in life, in your office, at work, your boss, who you consider a tyrant, you're going to have to learn to be gentle towards him. What is God like? Well, Jesus tells us time and again. You remember back in, uh, in John chapter 14, Philip comes to him and says, Lord, show us the Father and it'll satisfy us. And Jesus says, Philip, have I been with you for so long? When you've seen me operate, you've seen the Father in action. This is what the Father is like. Why is it then that we've got this image of a fire and brimstone judgment God? Uh, men have painted God that way for us. That's been our understanding of God. In Ezekiel 18 verse 4, uh, we know that the Word of God says, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. And that's true. But John 6.33 says, But the bread of God is He which comes down from heaven and gives light unto the world. I want us to realize something, folks. We've got to tailor-make our presentation of Christianity according to the direction in which men are moving. 
It's no good preaching hellfire and brimstone to a guy who's really got a heart after God and he's wanting to embrace God and get, get to know more about the kingdom. He doesn't need that message. The guy who needs the message is the one who set his heart against God and is moving in that direction. The guy who is moving towards God and says, I I don't know where to find him. Help me. It's no good preaching fire and brimstone. He wants to do it. And we need to understand that uh, we need a lot of wisdom and gentleness in our approach to people in order to win them. If we believe that the steps of the righteous are ordered of, of the Lord, there are people coming across our path daily and some of them might come initially wrapped in the most obnoxious wrapping. They don't meet you by chance. Some of you are going to have to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth in your homes where you are not being received. Where you're being spoken against and criticized and ridiculed. But that does not give you the right to step out of God's purpose for you. Remember the key to walking in blessing is obey the word. God expects us to obey the word. If you're his child, he wants you to obey the word. There's a way for you to handle circumstances, but the minute you operate outside of the way that God instructs us to handle them, you move into a realm called flesh. And when you're in the flesh, you you use your usefulness, you lose your usefulness for God in that situation. Are we okay? Now, Jesus revealed the Father to us. But do you know that 700 years before Jesus was on the earth, Isaiah revealed to us the gentleness of God? Isaiah 40 verse 11, make a note of it, you can read it for yourself. It says, He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom. And he shall gently lead those that are with young. A gentleness. Love can't be anything other than gentle. Doesn't mean it lacks firmness. Gentleness doesn't mean you're going to be pushed around. It just means you know exactly what you're doing and you're in control of the situation to the point where your emotions aren't running riot. David gives the key that made his life a success. Well, we know that David had a heart after God. But listen to 2 Samuel twenty-two thirty-six. David is speaking. He says, Thou hast also given me the shield of thy salvation, and thy gentleness hath made me great. Isn't that interesting? Thy gentleness. It wasn't the stone in the sling that made him great. It was God's gentleness. Paul, writing to Timothy, says, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle to all men. And I want you to know, if you're following Jesus, you're also a servant of the Lord. It's not just the guy standing up here. Must not strive, but be gentle to all men. Could I add, all the time? Now, important. How do we cultivate gentleness? We grow it just like we grow the rest of the fruit. The seed is there. 
This is a work of the recreated human spirit and the Holy Spirit. When I step out of line, I'm expecting the Holy Spirit to speak into my heart. The steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. Let me just stop there for one minute and just add this to you. I don't look to God to keep reaffirming me in what I'm doing. When it says that we are led by the Spirit of God, Romans chapter 8 verse 14, the sons and the daughters of God are led by the Spirit of God. I do not believe that it is a specific step every time. I believe that being led by the Spirit of God is this. Father, I know that I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. And so I start walking in my Christian life. And Lord, if I step out of tune with you or I get out of pace with you, I'm expecting you to tell me. But until you do, I keep walking. I know there are certain no-nos. I don't even have to discuss those with you. Those are not discussable. They're things that are of the old life. And I know that I don't have to touch them. But I don't have to wait with spiritual thumb on spiritual pulse saying, God, am I in the kingdom? Am I not? Because when I reach that stage and I'm operating that way, this is what's going to happen. Every day, every second day, or at least every third day, I'm going to have to have a reaffirmation from God that I am where God wants me to be. There are people that come to me and they say, "Uh, you know, I'm doing this and this and this. I'm not hearing from God anymore. Well, what are you doing? Well, this is why, but this is the activity that I'm in. Well, now, um, did God tell you to do that? Yeah, I knew that God led me there, but I'm not hearing any more from God. Why should you? You're doing what He told you to do. You don't have to have God coming along, giving you strokes on the face. Say, well done, my son. You finally got to where I want you to be. You've been here for exactly three months, and it might be that I'm going to lead you on soon. Not. When God speaks, you'll know. Get obedient. And as you get into the place, peace will just come to you. And you say, I'm just where God wants me to be. And stay where God has got you and flourish there. Blossom like the rose. Really, trust me on that one. Because you see, the steps of a righteous order of the Lord, I just keep walking. And I'm trusting the Holy Spirit and my recreated human spirit that if I get out of line with what God is purposing and intending for me, I'll know it. How many of you, when you sin, you know it? I mean, it wasn't intentional, but you you bang, you missed it, and you knew straight away you missed it. Let me have a look. Well, you're being led by the Spirit of God. See, the recreated human spirit gets ministered to by the Holy Spirit. And you know it. You don't have to go along and get counseling. Come on. You knew it straight away. Now, if you were wise, you repented and got back to where you needed to be. If you didn't, you're in trouble. Amen? Amen. See? So now, how do we cultivate gentleness? We, we grow it. We cause it to come forth. The seed is already planted. But it's, I believe that there is a direct correlation between maturity, spiritual maturity, and gentleness. I believe that the more mature a person becomes in the Lord, the gentler they become within themselves. And gentleness is seen. Goodness is experienced. Gentleness, kindness. Amen? You understand that? And I believe that. It doesn't mean you've got to be quiet. Being gentle doesn't mean being quiet. Don't change character. Don't change personality. The Lord saved you to be you. So don't, you know, confuse gentleness with quietness. 
gentleness is how I deal with people. It's my conduct. Gentle, kind. As a result of which, goodness is going to flow out. Amen? All right, now, here are some things that we can do, just three things that we can do to cultivate gentleness in our character. Gentleness in our character. Three things that we can do to cultivate. The seed is already there. When you got born again, the seed was placed in you. What we've got to do is water the seed and cause the seed to come forth and produce the fruit. So the first thing that we have to do to cultivate gentleness is take time to be tender. Take time to be tender. I was... uh, Yeah, I was in I was in LaGuardia Airport. There was a uh, a girl, I suppose, um, probably sixteen, seventeen, and and I think this is what is happening. The, the The man with her was obviously her dad. He'd probably gone to get her at um, from from college to come home for vacation. This poor kid was trying her utmost. Now, the father looked, you know, real old. (laughs) Well, not that old, but I mean sort of oldish. But this poor kid was trying to communicate with him. Now, we were walking down this long hallway, and and here they were just ahead of me, and I could hear her attempts to, to engage him in conversation. And she'd obviously been away at college, and he was giving her monosyllabic responses, one-word answers. Perhaps he couldn't do any better. But I'm thinking to myself, he hasn't seen her for some time. Surely he would want to make some effort, be tender. She's just crying out for attention. She's glad to be home. And there wasn't anything that indicated he was real happy about it. See? We make our feelings too much of a priority in life. If it doesn't suit me, I'm not going to do it. If it doesn't suit me to be kind now, I'm not going to be kind. If it doesn't suit me to be gentle, I'm not going to be gentle. If it doesn't suit me to be communicative, I'm not going to communicate. Now, for Christians, for the world, that's what we expect of the world, not from Christians. We've got to die to ourselves. We've got to die. I believe that it's possible to wrap yourself in a cause, in a job, in a hobby, in a sport, in an activity, until there is no time for tenderness. You know the Civil War song, John Brown's Body? Few people know that that while John Brown was driven by the saintly mission to free the slaves, his wife and 13 children were in the mountains starving. Nine of them died of malnutrition. Two of them died as a result of his wild raids. He was so engaged with what he wanted to pursue 
that his family perished. Now you need to contrast that with the life of Jesus. Jesus always had time for people. Now there are people who will just gobble up your time. If you'll give them the whole lot, they'll take it. But Jesus was gentle to everybody all the time. There are notable exceptions and there are reasons for that. But have a look at his ministering to the children. He was gentle. He was kind. The kids will never come to you if they don't feel that. To the woman at the well, with those incredible problems, heat of the day, Jesus is looking for a drink. The drink wasn't that important. Her need was far more important than his uh, satisfying his thirst. And he spent time with her. And even when her responses came back, and she was transparent in her honesty, he was always gentle with her. What about his gentleness as he helps a fallen woman regain her battered pride and restore some dignity to her in front of her accusers who are standing there with handfuls of rock? We need to take time with people and cultivate gentleness. There are lots of opportunities to cultivate gentleness. All you've got to do is start mixing with people. They'll test you, and they'll try you. But we are responsible for cultivating that. You don't, if you exclude people from your daily agenda, you never will cultivate gentleness, because gentleness is something which is seen by them and goodness is experienced by them as a result of the gentleness that is within us. Second thing that we can do is this. Eliminate the wars that exist on the battlegrounds of our minds. Eliminate the wars that exist on the battlegrounds of our minds. Imaginary wars in our minds will destroy gentleness. Do you know what the, the, the biggest, if, if you can break with this, with, with what I'm about to tell you, you will indeed set yourself free from the persecution and the pressure that Satan is able to bring against you in your mind. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. And the rest of the verse goes on. Who knows what the rest of the verse is? Because he trusted in the Lord. Now, if you're trusting in the Lord, it's easy to put your mind on him and his word. He and his word are one. The majority of Christians can't stay focused on the Lord when pressure comes because they're not trusting in the Lord. They're hoping that God arrives. But when you're trusting in Him, it's easy to say, I'm committing this to you. You take it and handle it. I'm going to go play golf. I've got one in agreement. If two of us shall agree on this, it's such But this is what we do. When the devil starts playing games with our minds, we sit and the first thing we do is we nurse what he tells us. Hmm. 
And then, from nursing, we go to rehearsing. What did they say? Hmm. What did they? What did they mean? I never. Wow. I never realized that. Hello. And you know what the end result is? That you end up cursing. You'll move right out of blessing into the land of cursing because you are going to act on what your mind is telling you. The minute that that thought is planted in your mind, deal with it. Philippians 4.8 talks about the things that we should think on. Whatsoever things are good and kind and pure and, and, and so on and so on and so on. These are the things that we are to think on. Not the things the devil gives us to think on. Because when you start thinking in the devil, you're moving right out of the spirit realm into the realm of the human senses and reasoning. And the devil will whip your hide every time. See? Suddenly that war that was an imaginary war becomes a very real one and we lose all hope of gentleness and we become useless to God. Hello. And we do to, and what we do is we go out there and we do unto others before they have any chance to do unto us. I hope you got that. Now, it's, it's like the story of the guy that was um, traveling, in a, traveling in his car and the back roads, way out there. And it was after midnight. And uh, the car had a flat. And he pulled it over to the side of the road, got out, and checked in the trunk, and there was no jack. So he didn't know what to do. He, l- he looked around, and in the distance he saw a farmhouse with a light on. And so he started walking towards this farmhouse, And his imaginary conversation while walking went something like this. All I'll do is I'll I'll just, I know it's late, it's after midnight, but I'll just knock on the door and I'll say, look, I'm in trouble. I need to borrow a car jack. And the farmer would probably say, sure, help yourself. So he's talking to himself this way and he looks looks at the farmer and he finds that the light has gone out. So he thinks, well, now he's gone to bed. And he's probably going to be mad because I woke him. I think what I'll do is I'll, I'll just offer him $10 to borrow the jack. So as he's walking on, he's musing, well, what happens if he's away and his wife's, his wife's by herself? She's not going to be wanting to open the door readily. Uh, I better up the $10 to 15 when I talk to him. <laughs> By this time, he's worked himself up to such a pitch that he's starting to talk to himself. He says, $15. Okay, but not another cent, he says to himself. What are you trying to do, rob me? By this time, he's right at the front door of the house. And so he knocks on the front door loudly. And the farmer leans out of the window and he says, Who's there? And the angry traveler yells back, You and your stupid jack aren't worth $15. You can keep it. (laughs) 
a majority of Christians are in that condition. One thought, and they build on it, and build on it, and build on it, and the farmer never even had the opportunity of offering the jack. You and I need to realize that there are times that you are going to be faced with situations where the devil and the only access he can make into your life is through your mind. It's the imagination, the thoughts that he plants up there. Listen, God never speaks to our heads. He speaks to our hearts. The enemy always speaks to your head. He'll never speak to your heart. Uh, somebody came to me and they said, uh, when I was up in New York, they said, how do I know that it's God in the situation? I said, that's not difficult. You're waiting for some prophet to come to town. You're waiting for some revelation. That's not difficult. The recreated human spirit, filled with the life of God, responds to God like that. And God speaks into my spirit. And I said, I've learned something. That when I have a decision to make, I go with the first prompting that I get in my spirit. That's, right. That's God. The second prompting is me or the devil trying to talk myself out of doing what God said or finding reason why it isn't going to happen. And we've got to learn that. We've got to trust our recreated human spirit. There's no part of the enemy in there. It's pure before God. And when the Lord ministers to us, you'll know what it is that God wants you to do. We've got to keep our mind stayed on Him. Right? Number three, very easy. Learn, learn, and that's the operative word. Exercise yourself to this. To be gentle at all times with everybody. Exercise yourself. That means it's not going to happen. There's no special anointing for this. This is growth. This is pruning. This is painful and hard work, and there are going to be times when you're going to blow it. There, there, there are times when it's pretty hard to be gentle. Ask me, I know all about it. When your nerves are ragged and tensions are high, it's sometimes hard to be kind because we deal with that old part of us that just wants to say, oh, push off, man, let me handle this myself. Get out of my face. And you can't do that because we're filled with the life of God. And the people that we are talking to and interacting with are valuable and precious to God. But in times of pressure and times of pain, that is a golden opportunity to start applying yourself to be gentle. That's not the time to kick the dog. Dog wants gentleness too. Now, I know that there are some people who are born with tender natures. Others of you have got a much longer road to walk. <laughs> but we all have the potential inside to do it. And it doesn't make any difference how long your road is to get there. There's some people with such a gentle spirit, such a gentle approach to life. They are so wonderful to be around. It really it, it invigorates me spiritually to see it. But there are those of us who've got a longer road to walk. <laughs> so 
Come on and walk on the water with me. <laughs> but you see, we need to realize this. The seed's been sown in our lives. You and I are responsible for bringing forth that fruit. Not God. It's there. We can do it. Tell your neighbor we can do it. Yes, you can. Father, we bless you for your word tonight. We pray, Father, that the things that you're teaching us, we're going to be able to embrace and apply them. We know that right outside this door, perhaps even in this hall, right after this meeting, opportunity is going to be given us to be gentle and kind and for goodness to be manifest. Thank you, Lord. We'll pass the test. In the car on the way home, we'll pass the test. Tomorrow, Lord, we'll pass the test. And the next day. And the ne- we're growing, Lord, and we thank you for it. Bless every home represented here. Thank you for them. Thank you for the potential in you. The world are going to look at a peculiar people. The world are going to look and ask the question, how are you able to do that? We can't do it without you. But we want to thank you, Father, we are not without you. The seed is already sown in our lives. Thank you that you give us the wisdom to bring forth the fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.